Good morning, church. My name is John Branna, and my wife Megan and I and our four boys have been attending WCPC since January of 2020. And this morning, I wanted to share with you um, a new beginning in my life that I'm really excited about. Uh, about five weeks ago, I joined a men's Bible study that meets uh, once a week on Wednesday mornings. And uh, throughout the week, we focus on one particular scripture and we listen to a part of a podcast. Uh, and then we come back uh, early Wednesday morning and share with one another and uh, start the morning in prayer. Uh, but it's been an amazing opportunity to uh, start to get deep and get to know some of the men in the church um, that has, you know, I'm excited about the relationships that are starting to form. So, thank you. Uh, and now, a reading from God's Word. I'm going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and uh, verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, uh, John Branna, and welcome everyone. I joined Tommy in saying, uh, welcome to WCBC. I'm Bart Garrett, the lead pastor here. And uh, I want to start with a question this morning. I want to ask you if you've ever heard the expression, the same old song and dance. Have you heard this? Okay. Well, I looked up the definition, and this is what I found. One's tiresome reaction to something predictable that you've seen before over and over and over again. So do you know where that expression came from? Well, well I didn't hear it, but I have some ideas. So if you're a product of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you may think that expression came from Aerosmith, uh, the same old song and dance, if you know the song. And I really have that up there because I want to be the only pastor in the 150-year history of this church to have put an Aerosmith slide up on the screen. So I did it. Um, or maybe you could go back to the 50s and 60s and you would know, anyone? Frank Sinatra, same old song and dance. But if you take it back even further to the late 1800s, you would know vaudeville in America, and they always talked about vaudeville beginning every night with the same old song and dance. But we can go back even further to Victorian England where we get this phrase for the first time, don't make a song and dance about such an important matter. So that's where it came from. But instead, I want to go way back, 3,000 years, 3,500 years ago to the writing of Genesis chapter 1, and then 2,000 years ago to the writing of John 1, not to the same old song and dance, but to a new song preceded by a timeless dance. 
That's what you're getting. A new song preceded by a timeless dance. It was a song composed around 1500 BC. The very new song was entitled Genesis 1, and we've been talking about it in the midst of all these ancient cosmologies where we hear all these stories of how the gods were creating the cosmos out of uh, lust and power through war and sex. But this new song, we summarized it like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with you and me in mind. Imagine taking that truth to breakfast every morning or to the boardroom or to the classroom. This song, as Tommy mentioned, is all about relationships. And for a second, I want to linger on the implications of Scripture beginning with a song. Think about it. Ask the question, how do you relate to your favorite songs? What do we do? We, we listen to them over and over again. They become the backdrop of, of so many things we do in life. They, they pump us up when we're running and working out. Uh, they're mood music at the dinner party. Uh, they're the jams for the car. It's the soundtrack of the slideshow. It's the favorite song that's just sort of always there in the backdrop playing, right? And sometimes we stop and say, oh, oh I just love this song. Well, what if Genesis 1 was like that? The rhythm and the repetition and the meter and the cadence, light, dark, water, plants, trees, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, animals. What might happen to you? The more you listen, the more the soundtrack would play underneath reality at every turn, behind every tree, up in the sky. Beauty and design, form and function, uh, knee-knocking awe, jaw-dropping wonder, all of it would be there. It might pull us out of our pretense and shock us out of self-absorption and snatch us from our little small story and place us into a grand epic. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, used to talk about uh, the imagination of a three-year-old is what's normal. Our hyper-rationalization is odd and peculiar. It's not normal. Getting back to the imagination. In fact, that's the essence of what I've been praying over this church and over you during the course of this series, that we would gain some new perspective as this creation song fires our imagination and ignites creativity and centers us relationally on our relationship with God so that we can better relate to the cosmos and to rest and to work and to each other. And today, we turn the page, a few hundred of them actually, to John 1, because John describes the timeless dance that preceded this new song. And if you're exploring Christian faith, if you're new to this church, this is a great Sunday for you to be here because we get in John 1 and in Genesis 1 the song and dance of the story of Christianity. And so in case you missed it, in Genesis 1, 42 times we get God, 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 God. God intimately involved in creating. It says in verse 2, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And that's not like a boss who's looking over your shoulder micromanaging you. Instead, it's this intimate, nurturing involvement. God the Father speaks with power, and God the Spirit uh, woos with love. But the question is, what was God doing before that? Was God just sort of sitting around taking up space? No, because there was no place to sit. There was no space. Did God have all the time in the world? No, because there was no time. 
There was no world. Did God have nowhere to be? No, because there was literally nowhere to be. We'll enter John chapter 1. In fact, the Jewish hearers of John's scroll would recognize the first word. It's the same first word in Genesis 1, Bereshit, in the beginning. It begins just like the Genesis scroll. But while the Genesis scroll begins with the divine doing, in the beginning God created, God did, John 1 begins with the divine being. In the beginning God was. The word was with God. The word was God. And this is where we begin to understand, or maybe attempt to understand, this thing called Trinity. Now, to endeavor to, to plumb the depths of the mysteries that have occupied thousands of pages over 2,000 years in two minutes, maybe it's a fool's errand, but you guys are smart, so we're going to dive in for just a second, and if this doesn't make sense to you, Dr. Brian Kay is leading a discussion on Trinity in our Foundations course in a couple weeks, so go during middle hour, but the Trinity... The understanding of God as one and three is complicated. Duh. So you would think as, as history marches on and as, as doctrine gets passed down that people would be more and more inclined towards lopping off all the difficult appendages and sanding down the rough edges. You'd hear people saying things like, this whole one and three thing is never going to work. It's too complicated. No one will get it. Let's leave it out. And this is typically what happens if you study the history of thought. Things move from more complex to simple. I give you 1973's Chevy El Camino. Is it a car? Is it a truck? We're not sure. Let's scrap it. The Trinity. Is God the Father? Is God the Son? Is God the Spirit? Is God three? Is God one? We're not sure. Let's scrap it. And would you know, that's exactly what happens. People went out on all sorts of, of bogus branches of thought trying to mitigate the mystery of Trinity, but the roots and the trunk of Christianity have remained stubbornly persistent for 2,000 years. God's people contending historically with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so, as God's redeeming and restorative work in the cosmos become more and more apparent, the historic Christian church became more and more fully aware of God as tri-unity. Two, one to be three, two, three to be one. So that God had forever existed in what theologians call a state of perichoresis, where we get the word choreography or the dance of God, the ultimate joy of God. Think about this for just a second. Take your moments of greatest joy and intimacy, improve them by infinity, and stretch them out for all eternity, and you have just a glimpse of inner Trinitarian bliss. Why does this matter to us today? Because the essence of God is relationship, which means God doesn't create out of love of power, but out of the power of love. And Jesus, one of these dance partners, shows up in John's gospel as the Word. Why? Because John was presenting this good news both to Jews and Greeks alike, and the Word was this description that would capture the imagination of both. Because for the Jews, the Word connected to wisdom. So in wisdom literature, God sends out His living Word to heal and to deliver and to comfort 
And for Greeks, the word here, logos, is connected to rationality. It's this framework that's sutured both deep within the cosmos and within the hearts of human beings. It's why nearly two millennia later, philosopher Immanuel Kant would say, I believe in God because of the starry skies above me and the moral law within me. This glorious dance would overflow into this song of creation. And so John describes the creation as John read it, uh, John Branna, uh, John 1.3, through God, all things were made. Without God, nothing was made that has been made. In God was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. It's the echo of Genesis chapter 1, isn't it? Did you catch it? Darkness was over the face of the deep. There was this foreboding chaos, and God says, let there be light. And there's light. The dancing life of God is emanating into the light of creation. But as we've seen over the weeks, this creation story takes a sinister turn, doesn't it? From light to darkness, from life to death. Human beings who are created to reflect God's light like planets revolving around the sun, we want to be stars, right? And it provokes this unrelenting desire to find our enlightenment apart from God. So what do we do? We see that there's no need for God anymore. We're doing just fine all by ourselves. But then in our enlightenment, we only end up seeing our nakedness and our shame. We're no longer lovers of the light. We become creatures of the shadows. So while the life of God was the light for all humankind... The light of man brought death to everyone. So Genesis 3 turns the attention to this curse, which ends up becoming a blessing. The evil one will strike your heel. We talked about this. But you will crush his head. And the question is, who will crush his head? We turn to John 1.14 for the answer. The climax of John chapter 1 and maybe the whole gospel of John. We've, we've talked about the Word as a powerful, creative, dynamic force, as an agent of creation, as a, a guiding Word that places order into the universe and intelligence into human beings. These ideas of logos, super important for the Greeks and the Jews of the day, as we've said. But now, John says the most startling thing he would ever say. Did you catch it? This Word that created the world, has become a person. See, here John parts with all the philosophical thought that had ever gone before him. And later, Augustine, this dark-skinned African father of the church, in the midst of his radical conversion in the fourth century, do you know what he wrote? He said, I've studied the great pagan philosophers and I've read many things, but I've never read that the word would become flesh. And in discovering this truth for the first time, my heart and my soul have rested. Later, John introduces Jesus on the cross with the words, deep darkness has covered the land. But the precursor to that reality was right here in John verse 1-5. And the darkness has not overcome it. You cannot put it out. And John is using these strong past tense verbs that connote God kind of looking back into the future, which I know is mind-bending. But what is he seeing? That the darkness would never vanquish this great 
light. It's the glorious splendor not only of, of Christ's crucifixion, but the anticipation of Christ's resurrection. It's what you get in 1.5. The light shines on in darkness, which is this strange present tense presently verb, which is to suggest the resurrection light shines on. The resurrection light shines on. The resurrection light shines on. And so as we turn the page from Genesis 1 to John 1 for the last three weeks of this series, I still want to focus on relationships. And next week we're going to talk about the relationship between the church and the world. And then the following week, the relationship between grace and truth, as you see here. But today, in conclusion, I want to draw attention toward the relationship between creation and new creation. The resurrection light shines on. And I want to ask a question and answer it. And then I want to ask you a question and hope that you'll answer it. And then we're done. So here's the question. What is the relationship between creation and new creation? And here's the question for you. How can I play a part? What is the relationship between creation and new creation? And then how can I play a part? So firstly, what is the relationship between creation and new creation? The resurrection light shines on. The dance creates this song, but as we've said, broken relationship leads to entropy, that everything is devolving. There's this gradual decline to disorder. So if you're a young parent, you get the playroom set, the kids get in it, gradual decline to disorder. You know, grandparents, you have your grandkids over for the day, gradual decline to disorder. That's what's happening here. Faith, hope, and love become guilt and anger and fear. Our relationships where money and sex and power could be these great tools for good devolve into classism and sexism and racism. Our work that could be a blessing becomes more of a curse because people are treated as pawns and brokers and tokens and objects. But Jesus, but the resurrection, but God making all things new. It's what Samwise says to Frodo. Frodo, does this mean that everything sad is becoming untrue? Yes. But the difficulty is it's not instantaneous. Did you catch it? There's nearly 2,000 years between the writing of Genesis and John. And people have been awaiting the Messiah for 3,000 years. And today we've been waiting 2,000 years for Christ's return. It's painstaking and it's time-consuming. But there's growth. It's just the way that Jesus talked about it. A little pinch of yeast in the dough. Small treasure in the field. The tiniest seed in the garden, the mustard seed. But what happens with that mustard seed? Birds will one day make their home in its branches. It's multi-generational reality, yet it's small and slow, yet somehow, somehow mighty and magnificent. That's the relationship between creation and new creation. A lot of already and a lot of not yet. Slow and small resurrection that changes everything so how then finally can you play a part well i wanted to make this super practical so i'm giving you two suggestions that are two words connect and wonder connect and wonder what do i mean well connect firstly um i have a confession to make uh, last year one of you gave me a succulent for my birthday 
And last year, one of you put uh, this beautiful little elephant ears plant on my office desk here. And both of them are dead. Uh, I killed a succulent. Like, succulents have been living in the Mojave Desert for thousands of years. The elephant ears have been dying a slow and painful death. Why? Because I lost connection to them. (laughs) It's true. There's this deep connection to the creative and recreative, restorative power of God that's at work in your life. Yet we lose connection to it. Um, the band's going to sing in a moment during communion this, this beautiful song on beautiful things. And, and there's a lyric in that song, all this pain, I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. Could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come out from this ground at all? You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. Yet we disconnect because our guilt and shame become so pervasive, it seems easier for us to just disconnect from the source. But we know the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. But getting reconnected to God will bring that resurrection life back to you. So how do you play a part in the relationship between creation and new creation? Well, you got to stay connected. You keep connected to God. It happens through community. It happens through prayer. It happens through Bible studies, as John mentioned, many ways. But secondly and finally, it also happens through wonder. Do not forget to wonder. Have you caught the, the cadence and the, the tenor of the service today? Abraham Heschel, who's my favorite Jewish rabbi, well, I suppose he's my second favorite behind Jesus, but uh, he, he wrote in the last century, The beginning of our happiness lies in the understanding that life without wonder is not worth living. What we lack is not a will to believe, but a will to wonder. And so if you're in middle age like me, um, we start losing some of that youthful exuberance and idealism starts waning and Some of that is actually pretty good. If you're in your 20s or 30s, like, keep it as long as you can. I'm not saying it's bad, but but some of it, it's good to lose a little bit of that luster, perhaps. But the older we become, it it becomes easier to get cynical and jaded. And we had a a memorial service that filled the room yesterday with this uh, wonderful man, Al Loosley, which many of you love. And um, it was said of him, he, he somehow cultivated his whole life gratitude and joy. We cultivate that wonder. Oh, wow, wow, wow. You know Jesus' first miracle, also in the Gospel of John? You remember what it was? It was, this party is lame. Let's, let's make it better. The lyric to the song you'll hear in a minute. All around us, hope is springing up from this old ground. All around us, hope is springing up from this old ground ground but we have to wonder to see it how do you connect the creation to the recreation well you connect back to god you don't lose wonder fight for wonder in your life let's pray as we come to this table god it is not the same old song and dance 
It's your dance that transcends time and space and matter and energy that has created this beautiful song that we're invited to explore. We're invited to live into, yet our fear and our guilt and shame are so overbearing at times, it's easy to disconnect. As we come to this table, would you reconnect with us? Would you fire our imaginations so that we might wonder again? Would we have the creativity of a three-year-old that finds such life and joy in the little things? Would we know that you love us and you love this world and you are not finished in this wonderful miracle of making all things new? It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit we pray. Amen.